The series is entitled The Word. We're going to be wrapping up chapter 15 and then getting into chapter 16 uh, a little bit. Uh, the last time that we took a look at uh, this series, we were talking about how the world will hate us. Uh, and the whole concept of that was kind of wrapped up in that the, the world hated Christ because as he was walking the earth, he created a, a confrontation with God. Uh, and that's what people really resented was that confrontation that they were faced with a choice to either believe what Jesus was saying uh, or to try and hold on and control their own lives and uh, their own goals and preferences. And so because of that, uh, as we come to salvation, Jesus is now in us as we walk. We're the light of the world. Uh, and so people are still meeting that same confrontation. Uh, and that's where the discrimination or the confrontation, persecution uh, will kind of be coming from. Uh, today, as we continue on, we're going to be taking a, a look a little bit more at this and kind of why that happens. Um, we'll be beginning in verse 26 of John 15. If you have your Bibles, want to turn there. Otherwise, we'll have the verses on the screens as well. Um, but let's pray quick before we head into the Word. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, that your Word is alive, that it is active, that it's sharper than a two-edged sword that pierces down to bone and marrow. Uh, that it goes into the deepest parts of us uh, and confronts the things that we don't like to be confronted at times. We thank you that you do that out of love, out of a desire for our growth. Uh, and so, Father, as we come to these passages and these verses, regardless of how many times we have read them or if this is the first time that we're hearing them, Lord, I pray that you make them alive to us, that you speak to us what we need as you work within us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so verse 26. Uh, again, this is Jesus kind of having a conversation with his disciples uh, during the Last Supper, kind of on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, where he's going to be betrayed. So it's kind of his last teaching uh, to his disciples before he heads to the cross. Uh, verse 26, uh, he says, When the Counselor comes, and, and he's referring to the Holy Spirit at this point, the one that I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. I've told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that he's offering service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I've told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember that I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because uh, I was with you. And so I just want to pause there right now. And, and, and Jesus, what he's saying is like these things are going to happen. This, this banning from the synagogues is really a banning from community. It's not like what we would experience here if we enacted a rule that said, all right, if you wear white shoes after Labor Day. Is that the rule? I, I always forget. Anyways, you wear white shoes after the wrong date. We're banning you from here. And then your option is like, well, there's a church like two blocks that way, and there's another one mile that way, and, and you have all these different options. It, was, it wasn't the case there where the banning from the synagogue would have been banning from community and, in fact, uh, even a calling of, of being shunned by the people that you would have had relationship with for most of your life. Next one he says, there's a time coming when anyone who kills you will think that he's offering service to God. Uh, we talked a couple weeks ago about how Saul, who became Paul, actually acted out this very thing. But there was this persecution uh, of Christians at that time where they were being killed and people were like, yes, this is what God wants. Uh, and so all of these difficult things are coming. And Jesus says, I'm telling you these things so that you don't stumble. 
But what I also find really interesting in this is he says in, in verse 4 here, I tell you them so that when they happen, you remember, I didn't tell you these things from the start because I was with you. Like, have you ever been in a situation that, that you're getting into something and you don't know exactly fully what you're getting into? And if you would have known, you never would have done it. Like, I'm almost imagining this is kind of a circumstance here. Like, like Jesus walks up to them, and Peter's on the boat, and, and he says, all right, I'm going to have you be fishers of men, uh, but people are going to want to kill you. And eventually, you might get crucified upside down, which church history says that might have happened to Peter. And, and they're going to beat you. All right, now, now do you want to come? You know, it's, it's one of those things where we just don't quite contemplate it when we're reading through this passage because we know how the story ends, right? And so I like to try and put myself uh, in different circumstances or remember different things that, that have kind of happened within my life. Um, and, and two years ago, uh, I'd gone on a, a camping trip uh, with Christian for, actually for Cooper when he turned 13. Uh, and so we're going on this backpacking trip. I'd maybe done a backpacking one night or two nights before. And, and Christian's like, yep, this is going to be cool. We're going to like celebrate my son, kind of this rite of passage kind of thing. I'd be like for you to come. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds nice. Kind of getting away from technology for five days, heading out into the, you know, campfire and s'mores. Like, like who doesn't like campfires and s'mores and, and all of these things? I'm like, yeah, yeah, definitely I'll, I'll go. And, uh, and I, I don't mind hiking and whatnot. And so we get out there, and we're heading up, and we just start climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing. And I didn't know about it beforehand, but we did about 1,000 feet of elevation gain per day uh, over five days on an average about nine miles a day. And, and it was just this rough thing that I've shared some of the story with you guys. Um, but about halfway the, through the trip, um, there was one day that just did not go well for me. I lost my shoe in some mud, had to dig it out. Um, I fell off of this wooden walkway into a beaver pond. Uh, so that was fun. Um, and then after that, I almost passed out, like, climbing the last hill. And, like, I was sitting there and, and just, like, I think I was fighting off heat exhaustion or something like that. Christian's, like, dumping water on me. Um, and, and I remember very clearly this couple walking by in bare feet. And I'm like, what are they doing? Like, I can't. Did, did that actually happen, Christian? Or was that my delirium? Okay, it did happen. Okay. There were no, no fairies, though? Okay. So one of the most hardest things that I've ever done, and we kind of get through that, and the next day, um, we're going to be heading towards, like, uh, a big state park. Or it was two days away. In my mind, like every step was like, I'm getting to that state park and I am quitting. <laughs> like I'm going to find the first person that has a car. I'm going to hop in their car. I'm going to go to a hotel. I'm going to rack up my credit card. And I'm just going to wait for them to be done. Um, and, and just God did something through that and that challenge. And, and pressing through that um, actually caused a lot of growth. Uh, within me both spiritually and, and pressing through hard things, but also physically. It kind of set me on this, this journey that I've been on that some of you know for the past couple of years. Um, I've down like 30 plus pounds since that trip and everything. So really, really cool. But I found out after the trip that, that the guy who coordinated all of it is, is one of their uncles. And, and Christian had gone up to him and he's like, 
all right, I want to go on a backpacking trip with my son, but I want it to be as hard as possible. I want it to be a challenge that's almost impossible. For, and he didn't tell me this, right? Like, like I'm at one of the adults going on the trip. Like, I should be in on the privy of like, yeah, we're going to challenge them. But it ended up being like one of the hardest things that I, that I ever went through. And I think if I would have known that Christian had gone to his uncle and said, this is going to be one of the absolute most hardest things that you've ever been through. But if you're willing to stick through it, you'll be changed and transformed and your life will be better walking away from this. I still probably would have said no. <laughs> right? Like, like, oh yeah, you're going to fall into a beaver pond and maybe get giardia and you're going to pass out and, you know, all this. And I probably would have said no. But Jesus here in his infinite wisdom is going up to the disciples and he's just saying, if you're going to follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. If you follow me, I am going to change you. And now, later on, as, as he's about to head to the cross, is now when he says, this is going to be hard. And this is going to be difficult. But it's this difficulty, it's this hardness, it's you walking with me through this that, that's going to affect this great change within you, that's going to transform you and to make you effective for what I'm actually calling you into doing. He didn't lay it all out in front of him. He just said, will you follow me? And he's done that to every single one of us. We all come from different backgrounds. We all come from different difficulties that, that he's called us out of, that he's rescued us out of. And, and in that point of salvation, uh, a lot of times we're, we're kind of looking at the mess that we're in or, or looking at how things maybe are, maybe are good but just seem empty compared to what could be. And we look at that and we look at Jesus and we're like, yeah, I want to follow you. And it's only after that point that we realize that, that what we left behind was difficult. But what we're called into is really difficult too. As we walk in faith and as we follow him and as he changes us and transforms us and, and basically kills our flesh through the work of the Holy Spirit. And yet it results in this beautiful life and this beautiful growth. And this is what he's saying to them right now. Things are going to get difficult. But I'm telling you this now so that when their time comes, you will remember that I told them to you. That I said, this is coming, but this is actually going to be a, a benefit to you. So he continues on then in John chapter 16. Like, here's these hard things. Verse 5. But now I'm going away to him who's... So right there, like, like I just... When I sit and put myself in their shoes, this is like a double stunner, right? Jesus is like, all right, you've been following me. Here's something I didn't tell you from the start. It's going to get really hard. Okay, it's going to get really hard. You're going to use it. You're going to be with. Oh, you're going. <laughs> and you're sending us out on our own. Another quick story. Um, and I wasn't planning on sharing this one, but my dad's here. And, and so i gotta, I got to pay him back here for a little bit for this. So there, I, I can't remember the exact circumstances, but him and I were home alone. And my, um, my mom and my sister, maybe both sisters, I can't remember exactly. But my dad and I are home alone. My, my mom and sisters are gone for the night. And I think we're hanging out watching Star Trek Next Generation or something like that. And, and all of a sudden, a bat's flying around in the house, right? 
And, and so it's like, what do we do? And so we actually, like, he leads the way. He's like, all right, let's go make a plan. And, and so we run down this, this hallway. It's in the kitchen. We're running down this hallway uh, and head into his bedroom. And we close the door behind us. And so we're sitting there. Uh, do you remember how old I was in this? I, I don't either. But you remember it, right? Okay, I'm not making this one up. <laughs> so, so we're in that room and we're making this plan. Like, okay, we have to go out of this room and we need to arm ourselves, right? So, so we need to get like tennis rackets, we need bats, we need something, you know, to, to go after this bat. And uh, so we make this plan that we're going to like leave the bedroom and we're going to run down the hallway and then through the uh, kitchen area where the bat last was. And then you can go around the corner and head down the stairs to the basement where all of the tennis rackets and bats and nets and fishing nets and all those things are. And so we're standing there at the door, and he's got his hand on the handle. And he's like, all right, on the count of three. One, two, three. He opens the door. I rush out. He closes it behind me. <laughs> I hear a lock click. I'm like, what are you doing? I had no idea. Like, okay. <laughs> And so I just right there in that moment, I'm like, I'm alone and I have to face this bat. And I think that's a lot of times what maybe the disciples were feeling at this moment. You're going to face something really difficult. It's going to be a challenge that you have to overcome. There's a bat that you have to go and, and get. At, you're on your own. And I think in that moment, there's this like, a catching of breath that happens. I know that was the case for me where it's like, where's the bat? <gasps> you know, I think there's this catching of breath that happens. And it's just for a moment, right? Because the next thing I know, the door is being unlocked. My dad steps out. We head to the basement. He grabs a six-foot-long pole, and I'm grabbing a tennis racket. And, you know, we take care of the bat. But, but here's the disciples sitting in this moment. And, and Jesus is saying, I'm going away to him who sent me. And I'm guessing like there's this catch in their breath. Like, wait, what's happening? Like, like here's this Passover thing. Like all these cool things are happening and all of these miracles. And all of a sudden he's saying really hard things are coming and he's leaving us to face them uh, alone. Not one of you asked me, where are you going? Verse 6, but yet I've spoken these things to you. Sorrow has filled your heart. I think it would be a really sorrowful thing. They were walking with him for the past two years in ministry. Like seeing all of these miracles, seeing the, the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, hanging out with Jesus. Uh, I really like the, the show The Chosen because it... it you know, it kind of builds around some of the, the biblical stories, but it kind of gives you a glimpse into maybe some of the joking that went on, some of the conflict that went on that they had to work through with relationships with one another. And so this is like a really close-knit family that's kind of bonded around Jesus leading them. And now he's saying, like, I'm going to send you guys out. And I'm going to be alone in this sorrow that's filling their heart. Um, it's a very similar thing to what he says in John chapter 14. Um, we covered a few weeks ago. He says, I've spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. 
peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled or fearful. And so he's saying, like, like I'm telling you these things. There's going to be a helper, the Holy Spirit that's coming. And then verse 27, peace, it's the Greek word irene, um, which is the one that uh, corresponds with shalom. And so it's not just a lack of conflict, but it is a peace, a rightness with God, a rightness in life that envelops all things. It essentially means all things are as they ought to be. Which I think, and it just strikes me in this moment, that that includes the conflict and the persecution. Right? He's saying these things are going to happen. My peace I'm leaving with you. But this peace is, all things are as they ought to be. And, and so it's that sense of, even as we face that difficulty, knowing that God is using this to share the gospel with others, and God is using it to cause growth within us, all things are as they ought to be. So, so have peace. Not in the sense of a lack of conflict, not in the sense of a, a lack of struggle, but in the sense of this is in God's hands and he is working this out. And we trust him with this. My peace I, I give to you. And so again, this is connected deeply to the Holy Spirit coming. So verse 6 again in chapter 16 where we are. He says, I've spoken these things to you. Sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I'm telling you that it's for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor or the Holy Spirit will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. And so they're sitting there with this sorrow in their heart saying, okay, like, like if you go, we're going to miss you. We're not going to walk with you. We're not going to have these meals together anymore. These, these miracles where we get to watch you do it are, are, are going to be gone. And so they have this sorrow. And, and yet Jesus is saying, I think, one of the most profound things in all of Scripture in this moment, saying, it's better for you that I go. I, I, I think if we really think about this, it, it's, it's profound because how, how many of us would really like Jesus to be on the earth right now? Like, like how cool if he would just be like traveling around from church to church and you know, next month is our month with Jesus, uh, and he's going to walk in, and he'll be preaching. Uh, it'd be so much better than me preaching. Uh, and he'll lead our outreaches, which is so much better than any of us doing our outreaches. And, and he'll be praying for the sick, which is so much better than any of us praying. Like, we could think those things, right? But, but yet, what Jesus is saying is that isn't better. Our thought is it would be better if Jesus is up here preaching. Our thought is it would be better if Jesus is praying for the sick. What he's literally saying in this passage is, no, it's not. It's better that I go so that the Holy Spirit comes so that you do the preaching, so that you do the praying, so that you do the work with me. It's better that he goes so that the Holy Spirit comes. It's this promise. And what is the Holy Spirit to do? It continues on as he teaches this in verse 8. When the Holy Spirit comes, when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
about sin because they do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me, about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak out on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. And so there's this aspect, there's these three things that he's really saying. It's going to convict the world about sin, convict the world about righteousness, and convict the world about judgment. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and I think if we really think about that, then we realize that's not our job. Our job is not to convict the world about sin. Our job is not to convict the world about righteousness. Our job is not to convict the world in regards to judgment. And I think as Christians or churches, sometimes we're tempted to do that. Where we see people in our life and we're like, that's, that's sinful. We start pointing fingers at what people are doing and we're saying, that's sin. You should be convicted by that. Maybe we say it in a way where our actions are scoffing, are turning our shoulders, ignoring people, are, are all trying to convict them of what they've been doing. Or, or righteousness and what righteousness should be. That, oh, well, let me be the, the perfect Christian and trying to, to, to be above everything. And we have this haughty attitude that says, look at me, look how righteous I am, look how good I am, look how holy I am. Look at me, look at me, look at me. In essence, what we're trying to do is saying, look at me so that you're convicted. Look at me so that you're convicted. Instead of saying, it's the Holy Spirit. Look at Jesus. Look at the gospel. The Holy Spirit be the one that convicts regarding righteousness and judgment. It's not on our shoulders. And when we try and do it, we end up saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. Maybe we don't try and do it, right? Maybe we're not out there trying to cause people to, to be convicted. But I think the other thing that can happen at times is that we put so much weight on our shoulders for other people to get saved. And we feel like if we don't do enough, if we don't say the right thing, if we're not taking every single person that we talk to in order to say, like, this is this, this is this, this is this, this is this. And we put this burden on ourselves that, that people will go to hell if we don't do our job. Right here it's saying it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict people about sin, what is righteousness, and what is judgment. It's not our job. And so we can take that burden off our shoulders because we trust the Holy Spirit to do that work. Now, it doesn't mean that, that we take the, the foot off the gas and we're just kind of like, all right, well, we're a passenger. Um, or, or more apt analogy would be like the Holy Spirit's the chauffeur of the limousine and we're just kind of sitting in the back and, and chilling through life as he does whatever he wants to do because we're actually called to participate in this. In fact, as Jesus was talking about this, he's saying that it's the Holy Spirit that's going to testify about him. But then he also says that you will testify about these things as well. So it's a partnership. In fact, the Holy Spirit um, is not walking around the earth the way that Jesus did as fully man and fully God. 
He was physical. He was tangible. Thomas could go and say, like, like, show me the imprint in your palms, the, the wound in your side. Jesus could go and, and lay hands on people. The Holy Spirit is not moving around like that. Instead, what happens, we find out in Ephesians chapter 2, is that, and 1, is that as we come to salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit within us as a deposit of our inheritance in heaven. That God actually comes to, to indwell us, to, to live with us as we're called to be the body of Christ. As we're called to be the hands and the feet and the mouth. As we're called to be the ones that, that go out and serve and, and point to Jesus Christ and share the gospel. And to lay on hands and to, to pray for people. And, and so when it says that the Holy Spirit is the one that will convict the world about sin and righteousness and judgment, it's not on our shoulders, the burden is not ours, but yet we're used by the Holy Spirit to affect us in the world. That as we walk faithfully, as the Holy Spirit leads us, our actions, our lives, the, the choices and priorities that we have, the way that we live, the way that we talk, the way that we spend money, will all be a confrontation with heaven for people. And through that confrontation with Jesus in us, they will come to a point where they have to face that decision, where they're convicted about sin, righteousness, and judgment. They have to make that choice. And in that moment, that persecution might come out if they're rejecting that, they're rejecting the Holy Spirit working through us and confronting them where they are. We're actually continuing to do what Jesus did as he walked the earth. This confrontation with the eternal. Confrontation with salvation, but even more so with humbling repentance. Of saying, I'm giving up my life. I'm giving up my priorities. I'm giving up my kingdom in order to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord. The Holy Spirit does that through us by equipping us with boldness. Equipping us for ministry. And and. In doing so, even with different gifts as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it also gives us an empowerment for life and an intimacy with God. We see this in John chapter 20. This is after Jesus' death on the cross. And it said, uh, so he was resurrected. Uh, This is one of the times where they were um, kind of there and Jesus appeared in a locked room. It was when evening of the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Again, that irene. All is right. Having said this, uh, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send, send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the pneuma. Receive the, the breath. The, the word where he says breathed on him, that's literally breathing out. But where it says the Holy Spirit, spirit it's this pneuma, which again is Greek for spirit, wind, or breath. And I love the connection of this back to Genesis 2. So in Genesis 2, you've, you've got God who's created everything living under the sun, right? Then what does he do for mankind? He gathers dust together. Everything else, he just said, let it be. 
let there be stars. Let there be birds of the heavens, right? Let there be fish of the sea. He just speaks it out, and poof, they exist. But with mankind, man, uh, he, he brings together the dust, forms it into a man, and then what does he do? He breathes life into it. Ruach, which means breath, wind, spirit. And man comes alive at that moment. Nothing else in all of creation, not angels, not whales, not ants, not anything else in creation has been breathed into by God to cause life to take place. Then Jesus mirrors and furthers this event by going to his disciples who are alive because of the ruach of this breath of God going into mankind at the beginning, which then resulted in a fall and a disconnect, but now this has been redeemed by Jesus Christ on the cross. The the relationship has been restored, and so what is one of the very first things that Jesus does, he breathes again into them. And says, receive the pneuma, receive the ruach, receive the Holy Spirit. This, this is life being breathed into you. This indwelling of the Holy Spirit then takes place. I, I think it's this amazing thing where it just it happens in Genesis 2. And then it, it's extended. So it's like, here is life. And then Jesus is saying, here is eternal life. I think it's far more intimate than we tend to think at times. Because we come to salvation. A lot of times it's out of a place of brokenness, a place of at the end of ourselves. Whatever the circumstance, it's, it's this aspect of I can't do life on my own in my own strength anymore. I need something else. I got a picture of this this last weekend. Actually, last Sunday when I was gone, um, Christian and I were uh, at a training in, um, about faith and fitness, kind of mixed together. And uh, because we're looking at bringing something like that to, to Janesville um, and, and looking at how to be faithful holistically with our, our bodies uh, in all ways. And uh, one of the things that we did on Sunday was uh, there was this woman there who had did a, a bit of a teaching on the, this ruach and the pneuma and, and the breath. And, and she was saying, like, there's so much new age stuff out there uh, about breath, right? And, and you have to be careful when you get into looking at breath and how to use breath with your body and as you breathe or meditation or all those different. You have to be careful because what has happened is, is that there is a reality of truth to the way that God has designed us with breath. He breathed it into us. The, the word is ruach. It means wind, spirit, and breath. And, and new ageness has taken it and distorted it and used it and caused to... to go into far realms of pursuing things that are not God. But what she's saying is, is there's an aspect of, of truth to this. There's a way that you can breathe that, and I had no idea about this, like you breathe in through your nose, and, and then you breathe out through your nose, but your breath out, if your breath out is longer than your breath in, your heart rate lowers. Or, or if you breathe in for three, four seconds, Breathe out for three, four seconds, and then hold your breath for three, four seconds, 
I just keep doing that, your heart rate will drop. Uh, we got to experience this a little bit when uh, we went into an ice bath. And you had to like jump in and like fully submerge in ice water. And you come back out and your initial reaction, like your body's just responding with like, <gasps> you know, and you just start breathing super fast and your heart rate is just racing. And then you use this exercise. And, and it's like this breathing in is, is like telling your body, everything's all right. Everything is okay. That this isn't this terrible thing. And, and as you're sitting in that ice, you can literally get your heart rate to drop. And, and you can stay in there for longer than you think. And, and so there's this aspect of, of, of breath that is both physical and spiritual. And, and I bring that up. But, but then here's this other aspect of uh, we went through this exercise where you took sandbags. And we had to take, uh, it was a 100-pound sandbag, and you had to lift it up off the ground and, like, toss it over your shoulder eight times. And then you grab the sandbag, and, and you hold the sandbag in front of you, and you just start squatting. And, and so you're sitting there, and you're not supposed to count. Like any other time we do a workout, they're like, okay, you can do 10 squats, and then you get a break. This is like you just grab it, and you start squatting. And you don't count and you're holding this weight that you're not used to holding, and you just keep going up and down, up and down, and you should focus on your breath and breathing in through the nose, which I'm not doing right now, so I'm running out of breath as we go. But what happens is you just continue to go, and then muscle fatigue starts to set in, and your quads and your hamstrings start to burn a little bit and you want to be done and then you realize like as you've been doing it as you've been focusing on this this breathing technique you've already gone longer than you normally usually go because you're not counting either you're not sitting there and saying oh I have to do this and this and this and then I get to be done it's just I'm doing this this is where I'm at I'm just relying on this breath and I'm going then you get to a point where it starts to get harder and harder. And the whole idea was then to, um, to, to envision and connect what you're going through with what Christ went through for us on the cross. That, that literally he was carrying the cross to the point where he couldn't anymore. And the whole thing was you stop when you literally can't do another one. And you just kept going and breathing. And what was astounding was like how much more of these squats I, I did with a 100-pound bag than, than I probably would have done. Like if I sat here right now without thinking about it, and I'd do maybe 20 of them, and I'd be like, okay, I'm done. Like, I need a break. I need to, to stop and, and rest. But I did more than 20 with 100 extra pounds with this focus. It's this aspect. It was this living picture of, of that when we're focused on how much we have to do or how difficult it is, we tire out quicker. We tire out faster. We come to the end of ourselves. Like we did with salvation. Come to the end. I can't do it anymore. I need the Holy Spirit. I need God to work in me. I can't do this life without him one moment longer. We come to salvation. A picture of this is that after that point of salvation, he calls us to do difficult things. 
He says you're going to be kicked out of the synagogues. People are going to hunt you down. In Matthew chapter 24, it talks about families betraying one another, persecutions coming, difficulties, various things. If we just sit there and look at, okay, what do I have to get through? Is it one more hard thing in my life? Is it two more hard things in my life? We're going to get tired out really quickly, and we're just going to want to be done. But the picture of what we went through was, we were just in that moment. And this is what we were called to do. We were called to squat until we couldn't anymore, and then we just trusted God to help us until we couldn't, and just to be faithful in that. In our Christian lives, if we just say, oh, this is a hard thing, how many more hard things? We're going to tire out. But if we can come to this realization that, that all is well, because Jesus gave me his peace, that all things are as they ought to be, which means sometimes things are going to be difficult. But if I enter into that difficult moment with the concept that's shown within 1 Peter and James chapter 1, where it talks about considerate joy when you face trials of various circumstances because it actually causes a result and the refinement of our faith and a strengthening of our bodies and souls in order to serve God. If we enter it into that, it's not any longer like, Okay, how many more until I'm done? How many more until I get to go to heaven? How many more? And we just get exhausted and we become no good to be ready for whatever is next. But if we enter into those things saying, God is using this. He is, he is growing me. He's working within me. I don't know how long this is going to be, but I'm just going to sit here and trust in him. And I'm going to focus on my breathing. I'm going to focus on the Holy Spirit's work within me. We can just keep going through that. Until we can't anymore. Or until he says that we're done. But it's an exercise in trust in him. And that he'll use whatever that is uh, to, to grow us. To work within us. To change us. And transform us. With this intimate connection where it's breathed into us. This is something we have to pursue in our life. If, if I had been told that it was going to be as difficult as it was on that Sunday with jumping into the ice, lifting a 175 to 200 pound sandbag, tossing it over, all of these squats, I, I think it would have been a lot easier for me to be like, you know what, I, I can't miss preaching on Sunday. <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to miss the people, they're going to miss me, I, I, maybe I should go and I'll just kind of skip this Sunday, right? It would have been easier for me to, to do that. Um, that's why God doesn't tell us these things at times. Because he just wants us to go where he calls us to go and to, to be faithful into those things. But we also then have to commit that when we find ourselves in those circumstances, this is where he has me to be. And, and this is what I have to walk out, regardless of how difficult it may feel. And I'm trusting him in this. And, and that breathing, I'm relying on the Holy Spirit in me. This is the counselor that was promised. When Jesus said, things are going to get hard, but it's better that I go, is because the Holy Spirit is going to be here to help us through those things. We have to be intentional to choose to embrace what he's called us to do. In Corinthians, we're called his ambassadors here on earth. In 1 Peter, we're called a holy priesthood. If you're here and redeemed, a son or daughter of God, you are a priest or priestess in the kingdom. 
That is who you are by declaration of Jesus who spoke all things into existence. That's what he's declared you to be. Are you walking that out? Are you embracing that even though it's difficult to be the body of Christ? It's something that when we consider the the blessings that he's given to us, the inheritance that he's given to us, that he sees us as priests and priestesses within his kingdom, sons and daughters. Uh, Romans says that we're more than conquerors in all the difficulties of this world. Like That feels good when we're focused on those things. But at the same time, we need to consider our adversary, who is a roaring lion, a father of lies, who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He looks to blind the eyes of unbelievers so that they don't come to salvation. And then he tries to blind the eyes of Christians to make them believe that they are what they're not. Or less than what Jesus died to make us, to make us weak. His entire goal is to be a spiritual suicide bomber to try and take as many people into destruction with him as possible. And this is what we battle. This is what we fight. It's more than we can handle. And so the sooner that we can recognize that and try and like gut it out on our own with intensity... I saw some people like go up to those sandbags and right away they're just kind of like, okay, like like they're just trying to like muscle through it with like intensity. They burned out the quickest because they were trying to do it in their own strength instead of relying on the way that God designed us. The way the breath can actually change the heart rate that tells us all is as should be, stay steady. It's what the Holy Spirit does to us. All is as should be, stay steady, trust and rely on him. The battle's not against flesh and blood. It's more that we can handle. But the helper is here. The Holy Spirit, God himself, indwells within us in order to use us as co-laborers. In 1 Corinthians 3.9, Paul's like, we're co-laborers with Christ in this. It's that whole picture again of a father who, who doesn't necessarily need his son to help him with the project But he says, I want you to do this with me. Will you? And the gift of the Holy Spirit, the the gifts that he gives to us, are what enable us to be able to help. Enables us to be able to to work out. Again, I I think back to my dad and some of the projects that that he had me help him with and the picture of, of, I think they were drywalling or painting and I'm like in a little gray hoodie with like, you know, a paintbrush to like help in the project that he's doing. Like that wasn't my paintbrush. It was something that he equipped me with in order to do the work with him. What if instead I said, I don't want this and I just took my hands and like, you know, or, or like found a rock and like dipped it in the paint. Right? God is asking us to participate with him, to be co-laborers with him. And he's saying, here's what I'm equipping you with. I am giving you the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to equip you for the work of ministry so that you're the light in the world, so that the Holy Spirit can convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment through you as we do this together. And if we are sitting here saying, that's too odd, that's too weird, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I'd just rather not touch them, 
would be us throwing down the paintbrush and saying, well, you can do it your own or trying to do it on ourselves and getting paint everywhere that it's not supposed to be because we're doing it in our own strength instead of relying upon him. He's given us this great gift, this counselor, in order to empower the church for the work of the ministry until he returns. We don't know how long that's going to be. We don't know how difficult that's going to be. But it's just like the workout that you enter into and you just have to focus on that breath, focus on being calm and doing that work until that work is done. Or he says stop. That's all he's calling us to. The weight's not on our shoulders to convict the world of sin, to convict the world of righteousness, to convict the world of judgment. He does that. All he wants us to do is to abide in him, trust the work of the Holy Spirit in us, and just move with him in whatever way he calls us to. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And uh, Lord, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for this gift that... um, is way more valuable than we can comprehend. There's times in this life where our thoughts may be tempted to turn, we wish you were here. We wish you were doing this. We wish you were preaching on this Sunday. That it would be so much better. But these convicting words where you say that it's better that you go so that the Holy Spirit comes. Lord, let us walk in that truth that it's better that the Holy Spirit is here indwelling us and empowering us as a church with the gifts in order to minister to one another and a broken world. That it is better, that it is your plan than if you were walking around on this earth. Father, if we are apprehensive or hesitant about these things, I pray that you would convict us, encourage us, and embolden us to walk according to your plan. Father, if we are walking and and seeking to be used by your Spirit, then Lord, I pray that you give us humility in doing that. I pray that your Holy Spirit would protect us from going off into myths or weird things that are not of you. But there would be clarity and protection as we seek to walk in how you've called us to walk. Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize that it is your responsibility to do the work within people's hearts and in this world. And that you've just asked us to participate with you. To come paint a room with you. To come share the light of the gospel with you. To share your love with others. We trust that you lead us in this as we go forward from this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.